Noah, how's your how's your COVID life been the last two weeks? Um, it's been it's been just fine. I mean, as I said last week, a similar trend of I've just been quite busy, so I haven't been interacting with the world a whole lot. Not necessarily for COVID concerns, more for uh, busy, just doing work. But I did go home a little bit over Thanksgiving. My university is actually pretty close to where my parents live, and so I will often still interact with them, even when I'm at school. And so so for Thanksgiving, I basically went home for a weekend, kept masks on, went inside with my family, and when we ate food, you know, they were at the main table, and I pulled over a little TV dinner tray and sat across the room from them and ate my food and put my mask right back on. Yeah. So that was good. We didn't really do we didn't do anything with extended family. Um, our grandparents live both sides live in town, so we did bring some food to them and did a little bit of like where we brought some dishes and they brought some dishes and we did a swap. So we were eating the same meal, mm-hmm. but not together. But it was it was nice. It was nice to have a little bit of a break. But other than that, I mean, case numbers are still crazy. They dipped a little bit around Thanksgiving, but they went. That's probably just because people weren't getting tested over Thanksgiving. And so those are still concerning. I'm actually getting a test here tomorrow through my university. They're just like, oh, you're still on campus. Do you want a test? And I was like, yeah, sure. Thanks. Yep. Um, So I've actually been really impressed with how my university has been handling testing of they've just been really good about making that a resource that is available to people who want it. They're basically like, you can get tested before you can go home. And oh, wait, you came back, you can get tested again. It's like, oh, yeah, neat. That's nice. Yeah. My immediate family is quite large and my grandfather lives with us. So my Thanksgiving was smaller than a full extended family Thanksgiving, but there was still, you know, eight people there. Uh, yeah. So that was nice. I've, I've felt this weird pull on the one hand between, as a society, our case numbers have never been worse. Um, right now, it's just crazy. Um, especially where we live, um, you know, case numbers are going crazy. But I'm still seeing people. Uh, and I know that the people I'm seeing have been very responsible. Um, yeah. For example, a good friend who I'm... A good friend who lives in town is coming over for dinner this evening. I know he hasn't seen anyone in two weeks. Yeah. And so I'm not too worried about it as as my individual interactions. But it's still difficult for me to weigh the increased risk generally against what I think is a decreased risk personally. Yeah, I mean, I'll steal a concept that was on a recent Vlogbrothers video from from John Green of thinking about personal risk versus societal risk. Uh, and the the example he used to, to illustrate that the most was basically the death rate of average about, you know, 1%, right? Yep. And so, like, a personal risk, I mean, 1% would still be too high for me to consider for, like, one of my family members. But as a personal risk, risk like, that is somewhat low. Still pretty high, but, like, somewhat low. But when you do 0.01 times 350 million or times 7 billion, you get staggeringly high numbers. Absolutely. And so what he was kind of saying is like, okay, look, you can think about personal risk, but there's also this societal risk here that you can impact. And I think this is a slightly different situation, but is another kind of note of this general trend of having to balance between personal risk and societal risk and think about how those two interact with each other, especially because some places are starting to kind of lock back down or impose some heavier restrictions, but there were plenty of times earlier in the pandemic when from a numbers perspective, like from an epidemiological perspective, things were better and we imposed harsher restrictions, but now it's been a longer time and things are worse, but we are not imposing as harsh restrictions. Yes. And there are many real and imagined reasons for that. Like one, I think it's just fatigue. People are tired of dealing with this. Um, and so I think that is a big factor. But there's also like economic pressures. And yep. there is a certain level of knowing how to handle things better, both meaning that some exposures are less risky because we know how to take more precautions. Um, and it makes people feel more confident, even when maybe they should not be. Yes. Um, and I, to some extent, I don't want to make my own personal decisions based on the government's orders. Not necessarily because, you know... 
boo government, I don't trust the government. Um, but I just think the government has a poor rationale for a lot of the decisions it's making. Uh, for example, in a number of states, it was illegal to gather two households together for Thanksgiving, unless you rented out a restaurant, in which case you could get 25 people together for Thanksgiving <laughs> from as many households as you wanted. And if you paid a catering company to run your th- to cater your Thanksgiving dinner, then you could have up to 75 people to get together. Yeah, I was reading an article, I can't remember if it was, I think it was New York Times, it might have been something else, about basically just an analysis of restrictions and how there was a lot of, like, a lot of finger pointing at, oh, people gathering households together, that's the real cause, but, oh, bars are, you can have a bar open until 10 o'clock at night, like, that's no concern, you take your masks off, eat food at the bar, oh, but two households coming together, no, 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 where my perspective is, hey, maybe both of these things should be limited, but it's a bit ridiculous when, you know, there's this really hard condemnation of two households coming together when bars are, are open, restaurants are open, all sorts of other places are, are you know, open. And it's like, well, it seems like uh, households gathering has maybe become a little bit of a scapegoat and that there are risks Certainly. there. But you can't condemn that so hard if you're not going to condemn other things as well. Yes, Kind of going back to the idea of societal versus personal risk. I'm willing to take more personal risk because I know the societal risk is low. I'm going to be... Uh, my roommate's moving out uh, in a few days, so I'll have this apartment to myself for two weeks. If I, you know, if something really goes bad and I get sick, isolating wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, yeah. And I don't have to expose anyone, it'd be fine. Yeah, well, and even thinking about, like, two households gathering for Thanksgiving... There are certainly societal risks there because if mm-hmm. you know transmission happens, they impact other people. But I would argue that that the the balance on two households gathering leans more towards personal risk than societal risk. But bars mm-hmm. being open leans more towards societal risk than personal risk. Certainly. And I think that the government there they should have interest in both kinds of risk for the same reason seatbelts are almost entirely a personal risk unless you're talking about children. Yeah. Like adults wearing seatbelts, personal risk. I still think it's a good thing that the government has some say in there that they say, hey, this is personal risk, but we're still going to say that you have to do it. But I think that they have more role in, in talking about things that are societally risky. Like food regulations, the FDA. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this isn't a COVID episode, but uh, no. we spent quite a while talking about this. But this is yeah. where we stand. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a lot of predictions and reading that this winter is going to be very bad. Uh, yeah. That we're going to see... A lot of death and suffering over the next three months. Yeah, potentially hundreds of thousands more. Certainly, um, which would be awful. So let's uh, let's pray we don't end up there. Yeah. Um, but the main episode for this podcast today is, I guess, kind of the nebulous concept of productivity. Yeah. Yes. I think both on a on a personal level and in a broader cultural American level. Um, there is this, this worship is probably the best word if I'm thinking about my own interaction with productivity and also culturally. Yeah. It becomes an idol or I was like, just such a thing that I think societally, but like also I know me personally, I just think about productivity, not even in very specific, just like getting things done, accomplishing things, being productive as maybe an like sometimes the end all be all goal of a day i, I sometimes how yeah. how well did today go well how much homework did i get done yes absolutely i mean think about all of the like productivity blogs or instagram inspiration yeah. about productivity and people saying you know well if you're willing to wake up at 3 a.m and and just work for 12 hours you can get so much more done and whether you're talking about specifically getting like work done in a narrow productivity sense or just on a general societal well-being level, that we really value and think of people just kind of gritting down and, and just doing work. I think we we really think that a lot of things are about, or even just where people end up in society, is about how well they can do work. Absolutely. I'm trying to, I'm struggling to come up with a specific way of, of putting it, but how good they are at exercising their agency on the world around them. Yes. Um, I have seen some rather disturbing arguments uh, around disability rights that are more or less um, like if somebody isn't making money, they're not contributing to society. 
Wow, that's uh, hurtling towards eugenics. Absolutely. Um, but, but especially around disability rights, there's this real push to say, we have to find a job for everyone to do where they are making money, mm. because otherwise they're not useful. Um, which I think is an awful mindset. There are lots of things that do not make money that are very valuable. Yeah. Um, and humans are made to do work in the loosest possible sense, right? We aren't made to just sit on the couch and watch TV all day. But when you define work as making money, and that's how you see the productivity, I think that's that's where you fall yeah. short. Well, I think that's damaging societally and also individually. Because, you know, societally, if we say, oh, if someone has a disability that means that they can't make money in the same way that they are less valuable, that is deeply problematic. Yes. Um, but I also think that is damaging to the individual because just honestly, for some people, it is harder for them to make money in the same way that another individual might. They have less marketable skills, just full stop. That is just yep. the fact of life in, in, in the economy. And so if we say to them that, hey your your worth as a person is defined by your ability to make money to be productive to be a value creator in the narrowest sense of that word um that's really damaging for them because even if if there are good intentions saying oh we are going to help these people to find jobs where they can make make money and be contributors to society if that's really hard for someone to do or, or you know getting close to impossible for them to do in the same way that other people can if we constantly tell them we're going to find a way for you to be we're going to find a way for you to make money so that you can be meaningful that kind of sends a message that they can't be meaningful without finding a way to contribute to society in in a narrow sense of that phrase absolutely uh we talked on the the episode about emotional health about how disability exists within a society yeah um and that a society can structure itself such that people's deficiencies are not disabilities, yeah. right? So in in the broader society, someone who is colorblind is at a dis, has a disability only because we color code things, yeah. And so to have a society in which making money is the is the end goal of human existence, of course there are going to be people who cannot do that. But but that in some sense that disability is only coming about as a result of the society and isn't inherent to who they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm I guess I'm struggling to to find a good way to phrase that. Um, but but these this disability of not being able to make money, the problem the problem is not just the disability. Disability exists within the society. The problem isn't the problem; it's the resistance to the perceived problem. the The fact that some people are less able to make money, and and apparently therefore less able to contribute to society. That's not the real problem. The real problem is that we define being able to contribute to society. Um, with having marketable skills and, and being able to, you know, make, quote, meaningful amounts of money. Yes, certainly. Um, and so this is, you know, it's very easy to speak about the dangers of a productivity-based society. Um, but the two of us feel very strongly this impetus to be productive, whatever that means. And that's part of the reason we made this podcast. Yeah, well, and I think it's complicated because... I certainly think there is value to productivity and, and progress. If you listen to when, when we talked about the future of biotechnology, yeah. to get to that point where technology can do amazing things requires a lot of productivity. And so it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword because getting things done is important. Um, and I think what we are trying to maybe argue or, or talk about today, I think our perspective is not that you know productivity or accomplishing things or making money isn't important. It's just that often we place undue value on it. Absolutely. And often, ironically, at the expense of meaningful work. Um, yeah. An obsession with constantly working leaves you burned out. A rest is an important part of any cycle of productivity. Yeah. If you don't take care of yourself, you're pro like in the short term, not taking care of yourself might lead to more productivity. But in the long term, it'll be bad for you. I, uh, I have a friend who I, I talk to fairly often. And they are often just very, very tired. I, I, I just thought that, oh, James might think I'm talking about him. I'm not talking about you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're often just really tired because they, they have a lot of work to do with, with school and a job and, and everything, right? Yep. And when I ask them, oh, how, like, how is your day going? Or how bad is your migraine? Or whatever, the response I often get is not 
a measure of, of happiness, it is a measure of productivity. Uh, they'll say, oh, I'm functional. You know, oh, how bad, like, I'll ask, you know, how, you know, how bad is your headache or how are you doing emotionally or whatever? And often I'll get an answer of, I'm functional, so that's okay. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I asked. <laughs> no. Um, and I think we often think of of being able to do work, whatever we define that as, as being a synonym with being okay. Be, we think that being functional is the same thing as doing well. Yeah, and, and I've felt this impetus as well. Uh, just this, this need to, to feel like I'm doing things. When I was um, on campus at school last, last year, I burned myself out really badly um, because I constantly felt this, this gnawing hunger to do more, to be more productive, to get more done. Uh, I signed up for a dozen extracurricular activities and I was taking 17 credits mm. and I was doing research and I was out of my dorm room for 14 or 15 hours straight every day. Dang. Uh, just constantly moving, working, getting stuff done. And I was so burned out. I was exhausted. And I was doing lower quality work because of it. So, Yeah, and I think I have done similar things. I mean, the other day I was putting together basically a list of my priorities um, or different kind of arenas that I have responsibilities in. And it's just a lot. Like, I have to take care of myself. I have, you know, friends and family and a relationship that I need to take care of. I have school. I have research. I'm a peer educator. Um, I also do work filming for my church, uh, and I also, you know, do a podcast and yeah. uh, put together YouTube videos and stuff like that. And I'm just like, wow, there are a lot of different things that I'm trying to do all at once here. Um, and all on their own are for good reasons. Um, you know, none of them are necessarily bad, and I want to keep doing all of them, but it's just overwhelming sometimes. And I think that I sometimes fall into the same traps that you do, but maybe in a less air quotes productive way whereas I think sometimes your solution is to to just do a whole lot of work whereas often I will end up in states where maybe even when I don't have as much work as I as I think that I do I will just feel really bad about myself for not not working I know that earlier this year and last year there have just been some times where I just like lay in bed for like an hour feeling awful about not getting work done, but in part because of that feeling, incapable of, of getting up and doing work. And it's just right. like, what is happening here? This is not productive. I don't feel, what is, how is, how have I gotten to this point? And I don't know, you know, I'm not here to do a therapy session. I'm not going to unpack no. my, my deepest feelings. But I think there's a level that I have a lot of expectations for myself just because I have signed up for a lot of responsibilities and all of those have people that I do not want to let down. And I am quite a procrastinator. And I think I, in terms of my procrastination, I think over the years I have figured out a way to do that somewhat adaptively. You know, I put things off, but I, I, I usually, like, I still get good grades and I turn assignments in. Um, I don't let that become a way that I let other people down or that my grades suffer or my work suffers. I, I, I get what needs to get done, done. Yes. Um, but what that means is, say I'm writing an essay or I've got an exam coming up, I often might not start on that until, you know, a week before or a couple of days before, depending on the project. And, you know, if it's something really important or long-term, uh, like often with my research, with my research, I'm usually pretty on top of things because it's more ongoing. Um, and so I can chip away at it much more. But like with a single exam, I will often wait for a couple of days beforehand to start studying at all. And in part, that's because it's always worked out for me. Yeah. 99% of the exams that I have taken, I have done well on just in school and college, just because I got lucky with genetics. And so learning is something that comes somewhat naturally to me. And so with only really studying for two days before an exam, I can usually do a-okay. Like with my, my orgo class, um, organic chemistry. I should probably say what yep. that is. Um, we might have some liberal arts majors listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would get into this cycle. I've had, you know, it's a two semester class, so I've had probably almost eight orgo exams at this point. And for almost every single one of those exams, I get into the cycle where, oh, like from a week and a half to a week before the exam, I feel super stressed. I think I'm going to fail. I feel awful about myself. 
I'm like, you're squat, like you're you're naturally smart, but you're squandering it. I just tear myself to pieces, not getting anything done while doing it. I'm just, you know, ruminating about how sucky I am and how I'm such a bad student and I don't deserve the grades that I have, but still won't do anything about it. And then kind of two, three days before the exam, I'm like, okay, I'm so screwed. I really need to study. And then like, I'll study a bit, not like that much, but like I'll study and then I'll do the exam and I'll get a good grade and I'll be like, oh yeah, like I had it. I totally had it. Yeah. And, and I did. The thing is that I did. I didn't, you know, it's not like I was screwed and then crammed a crazy amount. Like, I studied how much I would have studied either way, and I still got a good grade. And I was probably going to get that grade all along. But I had this spot in there where even though I knew, hey, this cycle, you know, I, all the times in the past, I've gotten a decent grade. I had this point where I'm like, I'm not being productive enough. I'm not doing enough work for this, even though I know that the outcome is is probably going to be fine given my past track record. And that makes me less productive and just like gives me a lot of anguish, mostly because I think that I am not working enough to maybe get the results that I'm getting. I'm just not doing enough, not being productive enough. And it's just ridiculous because I do it every time. Like, I, yeah. I'll be talking about this with my girlfriend, and I'll be like, I know what I'm doing, and you know what I'm doing. I've done this eight times. That's so weird. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Crazy. And I think it's because of productivity. Like, I'm, it's because I think that, that what maybe is most important in my mind at that moment, or, or maybe not most important, but it's, I'm just so stuck of like, I'm not, I've got this responsibility, this exam, it's important, but I'm not working on it right now. So I must be doing something, something like not just, oh, like a bad decision as a student, but like, it doesn't come down to me being really stressed about my grade. Like, I feel like I'm doing something wrong as a person that like, as a student, I've been given this gift of being able to learn. And here I am, you know, if I, if I'll often say, um, you know, especially talking to people who, you know, they've got to study more to get the same results that I do. Um, not because they are like dumb, it just because like genetically it doesn't come as easy to them. Um, yeah. and I'll say, if I worked as hard as you did, you know, you like, p- there are p- people who work so much harder than me, you know, they study yeah. so much more. They're such better students than I am, but I still get better grades than them. And I'm like, if only I was as productive as these people, if only I worked as hard as these people, what could I accomplish? Mm-hmm both like in a selfish way for myself, but also like societally, like I have been given a gift of being smart and I want to use that to my best ability without being an asshole about it. Yeah, I definitely feel that same pressure. I have spent this calendar year, uh, so kind of my new year's resolution, I've carried it through, was trying to be really intentional about rest. Um, yeah. That it was important for me to take time to rest. Um, And even knowing that rest is important, knowing that I need to rest to be productive, uh, that I can't always work all the time, it has been very difficult for me to allow myself to sit down and watch a movie or hang out with friends or, or anything that is rest because in the back of my head there's still that little voice that says, hey, you could be working right now. You could be getting more things done. Um, but I know for a fact that if I tried to work, I wouldn't be getting things done because I'm, I'm tired. I need to rest. Yeah. The only time I watch a TV show or a movie is with my girlfriend. Other than that, like I probably still spend just as much time on YouTube. Yep. But the thing is with YouTube, I can be like, oh, I'm like spending a quick second or sometimes I'll watch videos that are informational or educational. I'll be like, oh, it doesn't feel the same as like, I'm going to commit to watching a movie, even though I probably spend the same, if not more time on YouTube. I think part Absolutely. of that is a whole separate topic of kind of fractured attention spans, which we could do a whole episode on. But I think part of that is sitting down to watch a movie is like, I'm committing two hours to leisure. Whereas YouTube, you're like, I don't really know how long this is going to take. There's all sorts of different things, but watching a movie would probably be much more restful. Oh, yes. TikTok is the classic example of fractured... Uh, oh my gosh, TikTok. Well, we'll cover this in a future episode, yes. I, I suspect. But, yeah, so there's... I, we both recognize in us this impetus for productivity in a nebulous sense. Yeah, as, we, as we've alluded to, that's why we're doing the podcast. We are, in this episode yes. and others, we have said, 
the the reason we are doing this podcast, the main number one reason is because we we need a reason to hang out with each other every two weeks and have an interesting and, and deep conversation more than just catching up with how's your life been. Right. Um, in the past, we would every once in a while kind of have these type of conversations while we were kayaking or hiking or whatever. But while we're not geographically close to each other, like we, we, we knew we wanted to do this, but saying that we're just going to do, like we knew we wouldn't stick to it unless we had a reason to. And so we started a freaking podcast. And I think we have the same conversations, whether we record them or not. Definitely. It's ridiculous. But it but it feels like I can check something off the to-do list, like I've yeah. been productive because I record it, um, which is ridiculous, but yeah. that's the psychological loophole I have to jump through to make myself happy. And from a productivity standpoint, you know, recording the episode is about the same amount of time, but for every hour that we record, I spend at least an hour, at least, at least two hours editing, right? Which mm-hmm. is fulfilling work. I don't mind it. I like editing, right? Yeah. Um, I mostly like editing. But from a plain productivity standpoint, if the main goal to achieve is have conversations with James, it would make so much more sense to just have those conversations without going through the hassle of recording it and then spending double, if not triple, the time I had with those conversations editing and uploading that podcast. But, but here we are. And I, I don't want to change. I, I, I like doing the podcast, but I think there's an element of it where, you know, part of it is I just like creating things and like putting stuff out there. But I think there's an element of like <laughs> spending the time to edit and put up a good, a, a, you know, a decent podcast ma- makes the, you know, tells my brain, oh, it was worth it for you to have that conversation with your friend. Right. Um, which, man, what weird psychology. <laughs> <laughs> We've both alluded to this. I think that work is good. Getting things done is good. Definitely. Um, but you, but you, we have to understand its, its, uh, its value within a context, right? Why is work important? Yes, why is work important? Um, and I think work is important because it contributes to broader human flourishing, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that being highly productive in a window-smashing job... <laughs> is necessarily like that's not good productivity um the, the classic example i say window smashing um for maybe our listeners who haven't heard this uh this example the, the classic example is well if you want to get unemployment down to zero pay 90 percent of the population to smash windows and the other 10 percent to make windows uh <laughs> you know you can always find work to do that is meaningless empty work human productivity is valuable in that it accomplishes human flourishing and furthers human goals. Yeah, both on the societal and the individual level. You know, yes. my work as a scientist both hopefully helps humanity have a deeper, richer understanding of the universe and how to apply that universe to change itself. And also, I make money, which means that I could someday live more of the life that I want to live in the way that we do society. Right. And so when we were talking earlier about um, disability and productivity... The reason that is so backwards, the reason that's wrong, is that work serves the purpose of human flourishing, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. We should never sacrifice human flourishing for the purpose of getting more work done. The human being should be the end goal and the, the ultimate good there. So, of course, it's, it's nonsense to try and work people past the point of rest, that, that having rest is an important part of productive society. And I'm not, I'm not a communist, but... That being said, I don't think it's it's useful to say, you know, people ought to work for their health care. No, like, we shouldn't hold health care or food or housing over people's heads to try and force them to be more productive in a societal sense. I don't care if you're a lazy bum who never does any work. You still deserve to eat. Mm, um, yeah. Because human flourishing and human success is the end goal of productivity. And so to sacrifice human happiness and human flourishing for trying to get more work out of people is is backwards and on a less philosophical level i think many times just from a pure efficacy standpoint like of getting more work done of of, of accomplishing more as a country or as a species or as individuals oftentimes the way that we try to motivate ourselves or others or get more work done is just ineffective towards the goal of getting yes. more work done like working yourself to point of burnout 
ineffective in the long run for being productive, whether on a societal level or on an individual level. I think of, you know, parents who threaten their kids if they don't get enough good grade by, you know, saying that they're not going to be able to see their friends or whatever. That's just, and this isn't just my ramblings. Um, I don't have a paper to cite here, but psychologically, there are some, some, you know, decent evidence that just like threats, just like, if you're just going to say to your kid, hey, get good grades or else, like that's just, it doesn't, that's not the best way to accomplish that goal. No. And, and I think you've done some uh, personal research on that topic. Yeah, yeah. I did some, some surveying in high school, which basically found that people whose parents are harsh towards them in, in the context of grades feel worse about themselves and about their grades, but get the exact same grades as the people whose parents were more just supportive of them. Um, and that's mostly anecdotal. It was one little survey at my high school or whatever, but it's like, oh, yeah, these things aren't just kind of you know, bad on a philosophical level, it's just not effective. So even if your goal was to treat the situation like some productivity robot, giving people time for for rest or setting them up in situations where they can, at a basic level, survive and and, and thrive without some some looming threat of, you know, bankruptcy, that, that that would just make for better productivity, whether you care about that on a human level or at a robotic level right so i think another thing we wanted to cover on this episode is how we are productive um yeah we we've said that that a worship of productivity that making productivity the the end rather than a means uh, can be very dangerous and destructive Definitely. that being said it is good to get work done um humans are made for accomplishing things yeah and and we're not we're not perfect at this, but I think what I want to try and illustrate is I know both of us have been more intentional about this in the past you know couple months of productivity within within its its time and space. Um, so I think not just talking about how we get stuff done, but how do we get stuff done without falling into some of the traps that maybe we fell into in the past. And we're not perfect; yes. we're not the best examples, but we do have some experience, and so I think it's worthwhile to talk about. Absolutely. The first thing that comes to my mind is my New Year's resolution for this year was to rest. Um, And at least before the pandemic upended my life, that had a distinctive productive or professional aspect to it and a distinctive religious aspect to it. I told myself I will not do work on Sundays. Mm. Um, I'm not going to do homework. I'm not going to do reading. I'm not going to do exams. I'm not going to study. Sundays are the day I get to read books. Like, I love reading and I don't usually read during the semester uh, because yeah. I'm working, um, and so I don't have time to read. And I told myself, you know, I'm not going to do any work on Sundays. I'm going to read books. I'm going to hang out with friends. I'm going to rest. Yeah. And the two and a half months that I was actually keeping up with that resolution before COVID upended my life were some of the most productive months I had at, at college, even though I forced myself to rest. Uh, I think that the religious tradition of Judeo-Christianity they aren't just arbitrary rules. They're they're made with the intention of human flourishing. If you read the narrative behind the rules. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that sometimes people think about like keeping the Sabbath holy as sit around and pray all day, um, which might work for some people. But I don't think that's the point. Um, no. Now I have kind of been, in the past couple months, maybe forced into taking a Sabbath, not even for religious reasons, um, and also not on Sundays. Sundays are some of my busiest days. But that's in part because I work for my church, and so I film on right. Sundays and, and do stuff like that. But I also do a lot of homework on Sundays. Well, the Sabbath is technically Saturday. The Sabbath yes. is Saturday. Sunday yeah. is not and, Sabbath. And the day that's kind of been forced into my Sabbath is Saturday. Um, but that's not necessarily, like, have I thought about that in a religious context before ten sec- ten minute, one minute ago? No. Um, no. But basically... I don't really ever do any work on Saturdays because Saturdays are the day where my girlfriend and I get to see each other in person. Um, and we pretty much hang out most Saturdays from early in the morning to late at night. You know, we hang out, we relax, we cook. Um, and it's great, partially just because I get to see my girlfriend and that's really enjoyable. Um, but partially for both of us, we're both very busy people. Saturdays are usually days where neither of us do homework. We don't have to think about school. We don't have to think about work very much. And so those are just days where we can 
completely take a break from that mentally. Because even uh, weekdays when I take a break for a few hours, it's always running in the back of my mind. But when I can just look at my schedule and say, there's nothing I've got to hold in my mind today because there's nothing that's due at 11.59 tonight, is really, is really nice. So even later in the day when I'm not hanging out with her, Saturdays are my day where I know there's nothing that I've got to get done tonight. It's just my day where I can relax. Yes. And from what I have seen, you have had a productive, well-accomplished semester. Um, yeah. Even, even, I think some of the more the productivity worshippers, for lack of a better word, would say taking a rest is bad. And you, you really, if you worked on Saturdays, you could get so much more done. That's just not true. Well, and I think that those are, that people who would make that argument are kind of, I'm trying to remember what the name of, of the curve is of, of understanding situations or whatever. But people who, like, like, real, like real productivity, people who are really into productivity will advocate for taking rests. I think it's kind of people who are in the middle. Like, there are people, oh, yeah. like, you know, the, the, the people who like the concept of productivity but haven't really thought about it that much because people who are like really into productivity will talk about at like rest and stuff like that i think about um cgp gray the youtuber and podcaster um oh yes he talks a lot about productivity and he talks about that in the context of taking breaks he, like he takes breaks sometimes for weeks because it knows he knows it helps his productivity in the end and helps his mental state um and i think that something we can advocate for even for people who can't take a whole day off to relax is keeping time sacred for rest and not necessarily sacred even in the religious context but just in the the setting it aside of yes. that even if it's just oh wednesday nights from five to nine i i rest of keeping that specific whether it's going to a different physical location or just you know watching a movie or doing something that in some ways forces you not to work um i think that consistently taking intentional breaks is is important i think having a whole day for that is 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 valuable and offers some unique um upsides but that's not possible for everyone but i think what is possible for everyone is setting aside an hour five hours whatever an evening or all your evenings where there is a set time in your schedule where you know work does not happen yes um and there's going to be a little voice in your head that says you're not being productive you're not working as hard as you can um i call my voice the imps the imps in my head uh you just gotta you gotta learn to tune them out they're they're lying they're not telling the truth yeah no i think something else that you know another kind of strategy that we use is that's just good for productivity is to-do lists mm -hmm. um and i know that we do them somewhat different ways i i mean you know i'm not the most organized person when it comes to productivity but basically i just write out a physical to-do list every every week or you know and update it um, and just say, what do I have to do today? And that's sometimes stuff like, you know, I'm looking at my to-do list now. And so one of them is, you know, start plant fungal presentation or church emails, whatever, right? And, and so there's some things that are like due today, like a church email, right? But there's some things like yeah. I'm saying, start my plant fungal presentation. That presentation isn't due for five days or more than that even. But I'm mm -hmm. saying, hey, this is going to happen now. This, I'm going to start working on it today. But what I've been trying to do more intentionally is put things in my to-do list that are not work. So for one of my things, I have Secret Santa gift because there's one of my friends, that, some of my friends at college that I do Secret Santa with. And so I'm like, this needs to happen. I'm going to put it in my to-do list. And it's kind of a productivity thing, but it's also kind of a relationship thing. But like for Friday, I have eat because I often don't eat enough. I know Friday is going to be a busy day. And so I'm saying... To be productive, to check off everything in your to-do list, you need to take care of yourself. Or on Wednesday, I have take a hike because I know it's going to be a nice day. I put things on my to-do list that are work, that are school, appointments, all that stuff. But I also put social obligations and rest and self-care all on the same to-do list. I think for some people, it probably works better to keep those things separate. But for me, I, it tends, it's helpful for me to just think about there's one set of things I have to do today and... Some of them are self-care and some of them are work. Yep. I also do a to-do list. Mine is a little bit less, I guess, structured. Um, it would probably help me to, to have a, a rhythm of, say, every Sunday night. I take Sundays to rest and Sunday night I make a to-do list for each day of the coming week. Like, that would be a really good way for me to do a to-do list. What I currently do is pretty good. Um, there's a window right next to my desk 
and with whiteboard marker, I write on the window all the things I have to do and cross them off. I've seen you send Snapchats. It's so funny. Yes, it's it's kind of funny. It's a little unusual. Uh, people don't usually write on their windows. But it's it's but having a fun to-do list, and it's kind of fun to cross stuff off and write on my window. Um, and it's right next to my desk, which helps, is a good way for me to to have a to-do list that is consistent and in one place. Um, there are some things on this to-do list that have been there for months, and I haven't crossed them off. And sometimes I will write something on the to-do list just so that I can cross it off, because I just did it. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little bit less organized, but having a consistent place to uh, keep track of the things that need to get done is, has been helpful. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you use it now, but I know that at some point you've used a like a note card that you folded into four sections. Oh, yes. Um, this is something that specifically Dwight Eisenhower, is at least the version I've heard, is that Dwight Eisenhower pioneered this method. And he says there are four kinds of tasks. You can have a task that is urgent or not urgent, and you can have a task that is important or not important. And so the four quadrants are the overlap of those two dualities. So things that are urgent and important, get them done right now. Don't don't wait around, check them off. Things that are important but not urgent, you need to schedule time to do them. You're going to say, I'm going to take you know, five hours on Saturday and do this because it's important, even though it's not urgent. The things that are, are urgent but are not important... Like laundry or getting milk, right? I imagine. Sure, yes. Um... And Dwight Eisenhower, as general of Allied forces in World War II, those were things he delegated. He said, these, are, these need to get done right now, but they're not terribly important. Just have someone else do them. Uh, for your own life, delegation might look like asking someone else to do it if you, don't, if you don't have the time, or just doing it. It's urgent. Get it done. Yeah. And then the last quadrant is things that are neither urgent nor important. And that is the quadrant where you write down things that you could do, or that you have the possibility of doing, but are not urgent and are not important, and you don't let yourself do those things, um, <laughs> because everything else in the to-do list should be done first. Yeah. And so that, that is a method that is really good at dividing out not only what needs to get done, like a to-do list, but what order to do them in and how to get them done. Triaging a lot of different tasks. Yes. And so this semester, I have not used that method very much. Um, but when I am feeling very overworked, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm like, there are, you know, 20 things to get done this week, I make a Dwight Eisenhower-style quadrants to-do list um, because that helps me prioritize and organize a to-do list. Yeah, no, I've always thought that that's interesting. Something that I've been thinking about recently, which... Oh... I hesitate to say it because I, I could do a whole episode about this, but I hate any sort of advice that starts with the word just. Just do this. Just do that. You know, it's so simple if you just whatever. And so I hate any of that type of advice, but there's been so, uh, basically I'm a hypocrite. Um, and so what I've been thinking about a lot lately is just start. Um, and that's mm-hmm. one of those things where I, I hate just saying that because I hate like just do the work. It's like, screw you um that's not helpful yeah yeah but i know for me often when when it comes to procrastination at least it's not doing the work it's starting the work and so it's not like i would actually tell someone or tell myself oh just start like it's that easy but i use that more as a way to remind myself that that hey once like once you start listening to the lecture or once you start working on the project it's not that bad i i actually like learning you know, my, whether it's an, an organic chemistry lecture or, or genetics or whatever, I really like learning about those things. Thinking about sitting down, watching a lecture, taking notes asynchronously, like it's kind of a drag. But as soon as I hit play it, like 10 seconds into it, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in a rhythm. I'm doing it. Okay. But just yeah. like hitting the play button is the hard, hitting the play button is the hardest part. You know, yeah, opening the funny. Word document is the hardest part of starting an essay. Yeah. Um, for me, at least. For other people, it might not be. But I'll often tell myself, hey, just start. And if you don't like it, like, start this lecture. If you don't like it, stop. Just, like, start it. Yes. And if you do five minutes of notes and you're like, I'm not feeling this right now, stop. But I almost never do because I'm like, I'm already doing it. Yep. And I, that same advice is something I've heard from other people of just, like, do it for five minutes. If you feel like you can't do it, just do it for five minutes because you can do it for five minutes. And once you're five minutes in, you'll have some momentum and you'll keep going and you'll get it done. Yeah. 
And so the way that I, I, I pitched the idea of reminding myself, to, I actually, I'll show you. I literally have a sticky note that I've been putting on my wall that says just start. Uh-huh. But it's not saying, the, the just there is not in that, oh, it's so easy, just do it. It's that it is an easement. It is just do this mm-hmm. and you can stop. So I think we've probably outlined most of, of what we've got going on in terms of how to be productive, because that is not really the emphasis of what we're trying to talk about. We, we're talking about ways to be productive, but as we have tried to hammer home, it is not the most important thing. And so no. as we come to the end of the episode, I suppose one thing that I want to ask you is, James, what do you think it means to be successful? Uh, I think being a successful person, um, this this is uh, going to sound just like a religious answer, but it has implications beyond religious. Well, yeah, and you are a religious person, and so it's going to impact your answers. Of course. Um, I think the, the picture of what humanity is is that our goal is to be the image of God. And so a successful person has a life that looks like God's life. That means they are someone who is productive in the loosest sense of that word. They do things, um, certainly. But more than that, it is someone who is connected and relational and generous and forgiving and that success is much larger than accomplishments in terms of work or monetary gain but someone who is successful is someone who adequately acts like a little god out in the world someone who like i said can can be forgiving can be creative can have relationships uh, can be generous and that's what makes someone successful yeah, I think I would offer a very similar answer in that I think how I would put it is that the job that all of us have every single day is to basically build a life that we want to live, to tell ourselves a story. Maybe some days we don't actually like it more than it was yesterday, but that the, the net effect that over time you build a story, you build a life that you want to live. And I would add on to that, that you build the life that you want to live and that benefits the world around you. Yes. Whether that is benefiting the physical environment or humanity or just your closest friends and family. Um, I think to be successful, there's a, a large part of that that just that aligns fairly well with, I think, some traditional views of success. It is building a life that you want to live. You know, it is mm-hmm. forming relationships. Maybe it's even buying a house, having kids. For me, maintaining a garden and planting some fruit trees. Yes. But it's building a life that you want to live because there are grand philosophical points to being a person, but there's also levels where it's like, you should build a life that you are happy living. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're happy all the time or that your life is easy, but it means that the direction you are heading in in, and, and the things that you are doing is what you think is the right thing that you should be doing. And... I think that sometimes you can end up there by changing what you think the right path is. I think that might be what some of the more contemporary or or traditional views of of success are, that they define success as as either making a lot of money or having a big house or even just being popular or being famous. Yeah, Um, and I think another related or common failure is is that external circumstances can prevent you from getting to your definition of success. Right. And so I think either coming up with a worldview that says it's okay to not be successful or a worldview that includes something internal in what it means to be successful is important. Um, Yeah. And reevaluating success such that it can be something internal or partially something internal. Yeah. Like if you want to be an Olympian and then you destroy your ACL. You're probably not going to be an Olympian. But maybe what you really want is to... Uh, feel as though you're the best in a field or you're the best at something, right? And that, and you could accomplish that in a, in a myriad of different ways that don't involve having a working ACL. Yeah, well, I think part of building a life that you want to live is it's not a, a linear progression in that there will be days where you fall back. And it's also mm-hmm. not, it's a moving target. It's not yes. a, a fixed goal in that, which I think is important to think about, that success or the life that you want to live is not something you decide when you are graduating high school and you pick out this path of the career and the relationships. You know, you don't say, I want to have this career and make this much money and and marry this person and have kids and settle down and whatever. 
Those can all be good things, but the life that you want to live, your goal should be a moving target, which sometimes yes. might make it harder, but, but it has to be because there will be things that ultimately mean that that initial goal is no longer possible. And, mm-hmm. and there are many ways to, to achieve a life that you want to live. Yep. Uh, there's a, there's a webcomic called Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial ah, yes, yes. that I like, um, written by Zach Wienersmith. And he posted one a while ago that has stuck with me, in which he points out it takes about 10 or 11 years to get really good at something. Yeah. Uh, and given an average lifetime, you have seven or eight chances over the course of your life to get really good at something. And so you should recognize that a linear path where you're only ever going to get good at one thing is in some ways a wasted potential because you've got mm. seven or eight lifetime chances to get good at something. For for most people, you spend the first segment learning to be a good person, walking and talking and, and social relationships, and you spend the second section doing school, learning to be a good student and, and gaining knowledge. That still leaves you, leaves you with half a dozen lifetimes uh, to to dedicate to one thing or another. Maybe you want to become a great biker or a great chef or a or great, a great dad or a great dad certainly. And you've got several seasons of life left to still do that. And so I agree. Trying to take a linear path in life is in some ways wasted potential. All right, I think we're pretty much coming to the end of our our discussion. I think just kind of looking back, we started in talking about what productivity is and how we think about it culturally um, and how productivity for the sake of productivity isn't really all that valuable or important. And though maybe it felt a little bit off topic, I think ending talking about success was valuable because if you're going to be productive so that you can accomplish a goal, well, what should your goals be? If you're going to be productive so that you can be successful, we need to think about what it means to be successful. So thank you for listening. I hope that it was interesting or insightful. Thank you for taking an hour to listen to our our talk. Uh, If you found this useful, if you found this interesting, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Feel free to send us an email. We're still taking questions for a future episode. So yeah, the email should be in the description. Also, if you enjoy the podcast and want to leave a review on whatever, whatever player you listen to, we would love to hear your feedback and would really appreciate that. So... Until two weeks from now, this has been James. This has been Noah. Thank you for listening.